All right. Well, what's up, guys? As uh, Kyle said, my name is Will Edison. It's a privilege to be here with you guys today. Um, so like he said, I was here a couple months ago or so. And uh, I shared a little bit about myself. I went to Loveland High School. I went to Ohio State. But you guys didn't seem very interested in that. You seemed a lot more interested in when I shared a couple of pictures of me when I was younger. So I thought, why don't we go ahead and get right to the good stuff. Here's a picture of me when I was around seven years old. It was not Halloween. Um, I don't know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it, but it made for a good meme, nonetheless. So uh, that's me, a young cowboy, I suppose. Um, anyways, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Um, today I want to talk to you guys about a topic that may seem basic on the surface level, but it's nonetheless very important. And that is the distinction between the law and the gospel. Okay, this is a, a topic, an issue that was at the, um, the core of the Protestant Reformation and really gets to the heart of the Christian faith, the Christian message, how we relate to God, um, uh, how we're justified before Him, how we are now to live, some, some really key questions when it comes to the Christian faith. So um, I plan on starting off by um, just kind of defining what is the law, what is the gospel. Then we can try and see it in action in the scriptures. And then what I think you guys may find most beneficial is actually applying it to our own lives, um, applying it to how we read and interpret the Bible. And um, if we have time, maybe some common misconceptions and questions that might come up. So why don't I start by praying for us, and then we can get into the topic. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Thank you for the wonderful gifts, the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for the blessing um, of being here today with the North Cincy Student Ministry. I ask that you would bless our time together, O oh Lord, um, by your Spirit, working through your Word. May you Help us to know you more. Help us to understand your law and your gospel and distinguish properly between these two types of your speech and relating to us. And ultimately, Lord, that you would implant your truth deeper into our hearts, um, that we would glorify you more in this day and as we go forth. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, we definitely need to start off before we can distinguish rightly between the law and the gospel, we have to understand what is the law and what is the gospel. Um, these words can be used in a lot of different ways. Um, the law can mean the first five books of the Old Testament. It can mean the whole Old Testament. It can mean um, those rules or laws under the time of Moses. The gospel can mean um, the first four books of the New Testament, the gospels. It can mean all of Jesus' teachings, all Christian teachings in general, or in our everyday language, it can just mean something that's absolutely true. Don't take this as gospel, some people would say. So in the context of the law-gospel distinction, what, what is the law and what is the gospel? Well, in this context, um, the law and the gospel are two different ways in which God speaks to us. In other words, it's two different types of God's speech to us in his scripture. 
So, on the one hand, the law is that in Scripture which commands good and forbids evil. Um, think of the Ten Commandments, for example. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall have no other gods before me. Those are, you know, maybe the most famous examples, but nonetheless, they're all, what? Commandments. It's that in Scripture which says, you are to do this. And as it relates to our ultimate standing with God, as it is a covenant with God, if you will, the law says, do this in order to have eternal life, in order to be right with God. Fail to do this, and you will surely die. You will be under God's judgment or condemnation, if you will. On the other hand, the, the gospel, instead of being um, commandments, the gospel is an announcement. It's the good news announcement of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Whereas the, the law says you are to do this, the gospel says Christ has done this for you. So that which is demanded by the law, um, the gospel says that Christ has completed that work that it, which is required of the law, and it is freely given and promised by God in Christ. So again, like the law says, do this to have life, the law says, if you fail to do this, you will surely die. The gospel, on the other hand, says you have life through the completed work of Jesus Christ. So, if you're not asleep quite yet, we notice in these definitions, um, they are inherently distinct types of God's speech. They're not completely opposed to each other because it's the same God speaking in the same scripture. But nonetheless, there are different ways that God speaks to us or relates to us. Now, I know it's helpful for you guys to have illustrations um, to help you remember these different types of speech. And like Kyle said, Pastor Eric isn't here, so I thought, what better time than to use Pastor Eric as our illustration <laughs> of the law and the gospel. If you guys remember last time I gave you Pastor Cool Eric, I photoshopped like a, a flat bill hat on him and a chain and stuff like that. <laughs> this time, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to use Pastor Eric to, to illustrate the law and the gospel. First of all, the law. Strict school teacher Eric. So you see, you see the paddle, you see the, you see the eyebrows. Strict school teacher Eric. But seriously, think about the, the, the principle that's at operation at school, right? You are to do these things, you are to do this school work, you are to follow these rules. Or else what? There's consequences. You can fail out. You can get suspended. You can get expelled even. So this is like the law. Okay? Or how about this one? Here's another Pastor Eric for you. Drum roll. Santa Claus Eric. And so I know you might, you might be like, okay, how in the world is the law like Santa Claus? Well, hear me out. Hear me out. Oh, I was about to say that. <laughs> Pastor Eric, if you're listening to this in hindsight, 
I'm not intending to say that you see me when you're sleeping. Okay? But how does the song keep going? He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You're supposed to be a good kid and you'll get gifts, or if you're a bad kid, you get coal. What's that? It's simply the law principle at work. Do this and you'll be rewarded, fail to do this, and there's consequences. How's coal? It's pretty, uh, you, don't, you want coal for Christmas? You could sell it for a good... No way, no way. <laughs> we, want, we want gifts. <laughs> I see what you're saying, though. So, anyways, I could come up with lots of examples for the law simply because it's the principle that we come in contact with every day. It comes natural to us. It was that principle that was in operation in creation with Adam. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. Do this, or there's consequences. The covenant of works, it's called. The gospel, on the other hand, is foreign to us. It almost doesn't make sense, apart from God's supernaturally revealing it to us in Scripture. So, I must say, it was harder to come up with a Pastor Eric for this one. But here's what I came up with. Bear with me. Paperboy Eric. You see the paperboy hat? He's announcing. But what is he doing? He's announcing the news. What is news? That which objectively happened in history, past tense. The completed work of Christ. And it's freely offered to us, freely preached to us in the gospel. And we simply receive it rather than it being something for us to do. So I hope the various Pastor Eric's help you to remember the difference between the law and the gospel. Show this to oh, I definitely will. I definitely will. <laughs> exactly. So I know it's still kind of an abstract concept in some sense. So let's try and let's try and actually see it in action. Let's bring this concept. Um, let's put some legs to it and actually see it in the scriptures. Okay, so for example, a clear example of the law type of speech in scripture. In Galatians 3:10, it says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here we are to do this, specifically, what? All things written in the book of the law. So what do we learn about the law here? The law of God requires perfect obedience. And if we fall short of that, if we break God's law, we are under a curse. James 2.10 puts it this way, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. In other words, if you were hypothetically to obey all the laws but fail at one point, you've become a transgressor, transgressor of the law. In other words, we're guilty before God. Jesus puts it frankly here, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, the law is a reflection of God's good and holy character. He is perfect. Therefore, the perfect God requires perfect obedience in order to be right with Him. And right about now, again, if Pastor Eric's listening to this in hindsight, he might be thinking, uh, 
why do we let this guy up here? It seems a little bit doom and gloom, right? Uh, maybe, maybe when you guys see these emojis now, you'll think of the law. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe just me. But anyways, praise God that there's another kind of speech, the gospel. He doesn't leave us here in this sin and misery, but he has given us the gift of his son in the gospel. So what the law demands, perfect obedience, God provides in his son. The gospel says he, Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was the seat found in his mouth. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you see that? Yes, it is true what I've said of the law that it, God requires perfect obedience according to his law. But see this, friends, this is good news. Jesus committed no sin. He perfectly fulfilled that demand of the law with his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience. He did not sin once at all. But also, remember we said that we're under a curse if we break the law, and we've broken the law, so we're under a curse. But here's the good news, that Jesus has bore our sins. Jesus has taken that curse, that condemnation upon himself on the cross died in our place, the wages of sin is death, but Jesus took that, that um, penalty upon himself and paid it so that all who believe upon him can be counted with his righteousness and can be right with God. This is accomplished in history and freely given by God in Christ. Reiterated the same thing, for our sake God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Last time I explained it this way, I said, it's kind of like a group project, okay, where we did none of the work, he did all of the work, but if we believe in him, we're counted in his group, and so his grade of perfection is counted to us. So we might become perfect in God's sight. We can be right with God. That demand of the law is fulfilled if we simply receive. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, through what he has done. Not trusting in our own works, but trusting in Christ and what he has done. So now that we've seen it in action, oh, I forgot that I added that emoji. I, I couldn't think of an emoji to go with this one, so I just thought, you know, we're done. Like, we're kind of like, we're cool because, <laughs> because Christ has done it, okay? That was a hard one. Anyways, now that we've seen it in action in the Scripture, we've seen God's commandments and the announcement of what Christ has done. We've seen do this and live versus you have life through what Christ has accomplished. Now let's actually apply it to our own lives, to our reading of the Bible, to, and if we have time, maybe some addressing some common misconceptions or questions that might come up. So, um, first, applying it to our lives. This application of the law that I've been talking about, this use of the law, theologians sometimes call it the first use of the law. 
It's that use, that application of the law as it comes to us as a strict school teacher, Eric, as a, uh, as a taskmaster. Um, apart from Christ, in other words, if we have yet to believe in him and we're not counted in his group project, if you will, um, the law is like a hammer. It requires perfect obedience and it drives us to see our sin before God. It drives us to see we cannot meet the standard of the law. It leaves us with no other hope in ourselves, but leaves us with the only hope, and that is that second kind of speech, the gospel, which, like we've been talking about, um, Christ has fulfilled all demands of the law, all that is required, the perfect obedience and the penalty, both satisfied in what, who he is and what he's done, so that all who believe in him can find refuge, can find um, rest from this burden, from this condemnation of the law. So that would be the main application. I, just, I do want to add a couple more notes here. Um, if you find yourself here today and you are already believing and trusting in Christ, I want to encourage you. I want you to um, be comforted. Find assurance that we are not under the law in this way, in this first use, as it is a covenant of works, as our works earn God's favor or bring upon us condemnation. We don't relate to this way, to God in this way anymore, because Christ has fulfilled it on our behalf. So I encourage you, don't put yourself back under the covenant of works as you think about your relationship with God. Yes, you will fall short. In fact, you'll fall short daily. But our standing with God is still, not just when we first believe, but even now, is based off of Christ and His completed work, what He has accomplished, not our own works. So don't fall into the pitfalls of despair on the one hand or pridefulness on the other by hoping in your own works because it's just, you'll keep going back on this pendulum. Oh, I can't be right with God. I need to do this more. I need to do that more. I can't possibly do it. And then you do well one day and you're like, oh, I'm, I've earned God's favor. I'm, here I am. God, I'm your best student, if you will. No, don't fall into those pitfalls. Continue resting and trusting in Christ. He is our assurance. What He has done is our security. So find comfort, find encouragement in that. I also want to add this one thing. I know I'm going on about the application to our own lives, but I just want to make sure it's clear here. I'm not saying that the law is bad, okay? The law is good. It's a reflection of God's um, good and perfect character. Um, so it's not as though the law is the problem. It's that we are the problem. We are bad. We fall short of it. Um, and so I'm not saying we are to just throw the law out entirely. Christ has fulfilled it. Woo! Let's go do whatever you want. Paul in, uh, in Romans answers that. He says, by no means. We, we shouldn't do that. Okay? When Christ fulfills the law on our behalf, our relationship with God and the law changes. Theologians call this one the third use of the law. It's, it's rather than being a hammer, rather than the law condemning us, now the law is like a lamp unto our feet. It's a guide. It, it helps us 
No. How, how are we to please God? Not to earn His favor, but out of thankfulness for what He's done, out of gratitude for this great love that He has extended toward us. Now we want to obey Him and we want to please Him. Again, not to earn His favor or avoid condemnation, but, um, but rather uh, to glorify Him. Um, to, rather than being a, a strict school teacher relation to God, where He only relates to us as a just judge, do perfect obedience, now we relate to God as a Father. He's our Father who wants the best for us. And He wants to keep us out of the destruction that sin brings. And so He gives us these rules, not to condemn us, but to lead us to what's best for us. Um, and so we want to go, go forward, go on in obedience. Um, so just wanted to add that caveat. I talked a lot about that last time, the difference between do this in order to belong to God rather than I already belong to God. So now naturally I'm going to do this. Not the topic per se, but just wanted to add that caveat. So finally, let's get to applying this to our reading of the Bible, to our interpreting of Scripture. Here, I have to be honest with you guys. Before I understood this distinction between the law and the gospel, honestly, reading the gospels was a little bit awkward for me at times. And I know that's kind of bad to admit as a Christian, but I mean, let's be real. Sometimes the stuff that Jesus says in there, it's kind of like, oh man, what, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, so to give you guys an example, he says, okay, so a man comes up to him and saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And you're like, okay, here we go, Jesus. It's on the T. You're about to give him the gospel. Here we go. This is easy. He's literally asking, what, what must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And then we're just kind of like, uh, that's not exactly what I expected him to say, right? But when we understand the difference between the law and the gospel, when we use this tool to help us interpret the scripture, we see, oh, wait a second, he's not giving him, he's not proclaiming, announcing Christ in his work. He's not giving him the gospel. He's turning up the heat on the law. So we don't have to apologize. We don't have to feel weird about this passage because we recognize what Jesus is doing. He knows this guy's heart. We learn from the rest of the story that this man is hoping in his own works in order to earn eternal life. And so Jesus reminds him of the requirement of the law. He gives him that first use of the law. He gives him that schoolmaster and says, okay, you want to hope in your works? Be perfect. Keep all the commandments. Then, then you'll enter eternal life, right? So he's not giving him the gospel, but rather he's reminding him of that standard of the law in hopes that he would um, realize, oh, I, I can't fulfill this. I need a Savior, in which hypothetically I imagine Jesus would be like, ding, 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 I'm here. <laughs> Anyways, to give you guys another example, you're reading 1 Corinthians, everything's, you know, yeah, this is awesome. It makes sense. And then you come to a passage 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. And again, you're just kind of like, uh, wait a second. I'm unrighteous, right? Am I not going to go to heaven? What does this mean for me? But then we remember the distinction between the law and the gospel, and we see, oh, this is the law speaking, right? We don't have to feel awkward about this passage. This is a proclamation of the law that is true. None who are unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God on their righteousness, on their own merit, right? On their own works. But then we remember the gospel as well. And we, and we say, oh yeah, I am unrighteous, but Christ has died for the unrighteous. He has fulfilled this demand of the law so that before God's sight, this doesn't apply to me in the strict sense. Um, I'm righteous in God's sight because of what Christ has done. So, um, again, we don't have to apologize for passages like this. The law, gospel, distinction, recognizing which speech it is as we're going through Scripture will really help us to make sense as a tool of interpretation um, of some of these difficult passages and how to make sense of the Scriptures in general. So, Lastly, uh, I want to just quickly address some common misconceptions that you might run into um, as you go about life. Um, one of which, have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm a good person. Um, I have a good heart. I, I think God will accept me in heaven. I, I feel pretty confident about that. Um, well, if we remember the law and the gospel, how can we apply this to understand kind of how to address this. Well, we would remember that while this person may think that they're a good person based off of their own standard, according to the law, God's standard is perfection. So, in other words, according to the law, this person is not good because they're not perfect. In other words, they're not right with God. And according to the law, they, can, they will not be accepted in heaven, but now the opportunity to share that good news of the Savior that, hey, though this is the case, take heart. Um, God has made a way through His Son, Jesus. And this salvation is freely given by God in Christ and freely offered to you even now if you simply trust in what He has done and no longer in your own works. The law gospel distinction helps us navigate some of these tough conversations. How about this one? The gospel is to love others as yourself. Now, this is a little bit tricky because this sounds good on the surface. We are to love others as ourselves. We like the gospel. So what's wrong with this one? Why is this a misconception? Well, think about what we've just been talking about. This, to love your neighbor as yourself, is a commandment. You are to do this. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a second, that's just the law. 
In fact, that's a summary of the second half of the Ten Commandments, more specifically. So, this is not the gospel. Though it's true that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, that is the standard and the rule that we should live by, um, that's not the gospel. It's not good news. Because if this is your good news, sooner or later you're going to find out it's not very good news to you at all because we don't love our neighbor as ourselves perfectly. Um, we need the true good news that outside of us, externally, objectively, in history, Christ has loved our neighbor, his neighbor, as himself perfectly and fulfilled that requirement. Okay, so again, I'm not saying don't love your neighbor as yourself. The law is good in Christ. We are freed up to obey it. But it's not the gospel. So we need to make sure we keep those things distinct so that there's no confusion as to how we relate to God. And lastly, have you ever heard someone ask you, how's your walk with God? Now I know that's a touchy subject, and I'm not saying that it's a bad question per se. I'm sure the person asking the question um, really cares about you. They care about your soul. Um, and how they're asking it is, again, it's not a bad question. But in our sinful minds, we can so often receive this question, not as, how's your walk with God, but really, how's your standing with God? We, we process that internally. And, and now we start thinking, well, I, I, I haven't read my Bible enough this week. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't done this. I sinned in that way. Uh, my standing with God is not so good. Sometimes we can think of it that way. Um, again, I know that's not what they're asking, probably. Um, but it's important that we keep these, um, these categories distinct in our mind. In the strict sense, our standing with God is secured. It's perfect if we believe in Christ. Um, we are counted with Christ's perfection. So our standing with God, I mean, really, the answer to the question is, well, I'm just resting and trusting in Christ and His completed work, and I'm perfect in God's sight. Not saying you should necessarily answer it that way, because I know that's not what they're asking. But nonetheless, let's not put ourselves back under the covenant of works in that way. We, yes, we are to pray. We are to read our Bibles. Um, those are all good things. I, I want to encourage you to do those things. Those are all good. But it doesn't change our standing with God in the strict sense. Okay, so anyways, I hope this maybe brought some clarity as to how we relate to God. What is the law? What is the gospel? Um, how are these two things different kind of speech in the Bible and different in how we relate to God? Um, and also, I hope that um, you found something today that would be applicable to your own lives, a, a tool to use <clears throat> as you go forward and trying to make sense of the Bible and understand who God is and how we relate to Him and what He means in His Scripture and also maybe addressing some common misconceptions. So I'll go ahead and turn it back over to Kyle. I think you guys are probably going to split up into small groups and talk about it. Thanks so much for bearing with me as I ramble. Um, I really enjoy being here with you guys today. I hope it was helpful.